Hey everyone, uh, it is smoking hot up here, isn't it? My goodness gracious. Um, well listen, I am thrilled to be with y'all again today. I know that you're probably tired after running up and down the, the crowd for, uh, I mean up and down the crowd, what am I talking about? The court, the grass field, whatever it's called, these things these days. Uh, and so glad that y'all are hopefully still uh, attentive to, uh, to join with me tonight as we look at God's Word. I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 3. If the Bible is still somewhat new for you, that really is okay. All of us have to learn our way around the Bibles. And so the book of John is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sorry, I said third. I meant fourth. It's late. Snap out of it, Ryan. Uh, fourth book in the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at the third chapter uh, of John. And I want to catch us up just a little bit about where we were last night before we dig in tonight. We've been considering the topic the theme of all things new. I tried to make the case last night that in order for us to sort of understand what Jesus is saying and what the Bible and in the, in, in, on the whole is saying about uh, God making all things new, we needed a new perspective. And I would like to suggest tonight, this is where the real fun begins. This is probably the questions that you were asking when you came to uh, YXL is, well, what's that mean? Uh, what is God making new? And tonight we're going to answer that. Tonight we're going to start answering, I should say it. Because tonight we're going to see uh, one of the things that God makes new is you and me. That God makes new people. That God makes us new persons. And I think that's critical because I just want to maybe throw this out there for you to consider. You can jot it down, you know, or you can consider it while we're talking tonight if your brain operates like that. And it's this. Um, what do you think the answer to this question is? How are you going to be truly happy? What's going to make you happy in life? The culture would say a thousand different things, not the least of which is to uh, sort of live out your most internal desires and drives, and that's where your happiness is going to be found. But I would like to give you a counter-narrative, another answer in the way the Bible talks about it, and it's this, that you become most human when you are like Jesus. You are going to become most human. You will know your happiness in the greatest extent the more and more you become like Jesus. And here's the promise, uh, the promise connected to us tonight for God making all things new, is that God is committed to making you and me like Jesus. Now, we can just go home, right? We can just shut it down because that's, that's the best it's going to get tonight. But, but uh, I want to be able to explore this theme with you a little bit. So look at John with me. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to read of a religious leader who comes and has a conversation and asks a series of questions uh, with Jesus tonight. So here now the reading of God's Word, John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's that kingdom language that we talked about last night. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask God now to ask Him and ask Him to help us to understand what He would have us to know tonight. Father in heaven, we ask that You would now make much of Jesus in our hearts and our lives. And in a passage that deals heavily with the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would come and that You would blow. And that You would move. And that You would shake us. And that You would get in our hearts, O Lord. And that You would by some measure of your grace, give new life tonight. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you have had the chance yet to see my family, uh, but my wife, Laura, you've probably seen her. She's got brown hair. I sit with her at dinner table every night. She's got this little train of like blonde-haired chaos following behind her. And 11 years ago, this happened. I'll show you a little picture here. That's us at our wedding day there. And uh, yeah, these were the two, these were two younger lovebirds, I can tell you. And uh, we had no idea what we were getting into. I'll just tell you that. And I don't think many married couples do, actually. And without a doubt, the best part of our wedding day was no doubt seeing her come down the aisle. But a close second, uh, oddly enough, was actually what one thing that our pastor uh, told us as he was, as he was marrying us. Now, uh, I don't think any of you were here. Maybe John Ranheim was. John, did you come to our wedding? All right, good. Great. I can't, uh, this old friendships here, folks. Uh, but uh, he, he quoted, our pastor did, a passage from uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that I'd like to read to you just for a moment to sort of give you a picture of what he was telling us marriage was going to be like. Here it is. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps... You can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that, um, is, that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is, is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought he, you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Now I can tell you that Lewis is dead on when it comes to marriage. That God does what we never expect. We think he's doing or is going to do or say one thing, but he ends up showing us what? Something completely different. Well, the reason that I share this story about our uh, 11-year marriage is because many people think the reason that God comes to us like the house 
is to do some minor improvements and repairs in us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, sure we think there are some things in our lives that need changing. Maybe my tongue or my anger. Perhaps it's my relationship with food or my use of pornography. A few tweaks and what? We'd all be good. Right? But, if you're anything like me, I want you to know that you're in good company. Because as this text is going to show us, a religious leader actually thought the exact same thing. But Jesus is going to say to that religious leader, Nicodemus, and through him to us as well, that something incredibly earth-shattering. And it sounds like this. Are you ready? If you want to know God, something must happen inside of you. And that thing must happen, that must happen rather, you can't do anything about. But there is a God who is rich in mercy and kindness, who delights to give you what you need and you can't do anything about. And what is that thing? Very simply, it's the new birth. It's the new birth. Our theme for this week is all things new. We saw last night, as I mentioned, that new grid work, that new grid work that we needed to see. And tonight we're going to look at the fact that God makes new people out of people who cannot make themselves new. And when He does so, He doesn't make little improvements in your life. No. Jesus is going to show us that He did not come to repair your life. He did not come to do that. You know what He came to do? He came to renew it. He came to utterly renew it. And that's what John chapter 3 is going to show us. So I want us to look tonight at the new life that Jesus has come to give us. Or said another way, if God is making all things new, what does that mean for me as a man or as a woman? For us as persons. And let's take a look tonight at the first of three headings that I believe are in the text where Jesus clearly shows us, first of all, the need for becoming new persons or for becoming new people or the need for the new birth. I'll be using those things interchangeably tonight. Look with me at verses 3 to 5 as we uh, begin to get into this text here. What happens? Well, something shocking, in fact. You see, a man named Nicodemus comes to have a conversation with Jesus. It's at night. And now Nicodemus, we were told, was a religious leader in Israel. Did you catch that there? It says it right there in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, that's going to be important in just a second, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, this is really, really important because he asked Jesus a question. And you think like, okay, one sort of religious person talking to another religious person, and they're just going to have this nice sort of kind dialogue. And I love the ultimate record scratch. You know what I mean? A record scratch is like a... that Jesus gives Nicodemus when he's like, I'm going to tell you what, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you're reading it, you're like, whoa, Jesus... Can you cool your jets a little bit here, man? And that seems a little forceful, right? But Jesus is insistent about something here. It's a shocking move. Jesus says, you must be born again. And what is he doing? Here's what he's doing. He's looking at Nicodemus. He's looking at Nicodemus and he's saying, you need something. Something that is absolutely essential to see God that you, Nicodemus, do not already have. What is it? Nicodemus you have to be born again. And now, before we consider this phrase, born again, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about why this is so shocking. And the way that we do that is we look at Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was a religious leader. 
He was a moral person. The text tells us that he was a Pharisee. And therefore, as a Pharisee, you know what that meant? Like he was he was a religious PhD. I mean, you gotta think, you gotta think like your your youth pastor on steroids, okay? You gotta think like this person loved the poor. He would have given his money to them. He would have been very concerned about the way he lived his life. He would have read his Torah or his Bible. He was killing it religious-wise. And look what Jesus says to him. What? You. You, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Not you ought to. Not that would be a nice little addition to your life to make things a little bit better. No, Nicodemus. You must be born again. But that's just the shocking half of it. What's the other half? Look what Jesus says. Jesus is saying that the need that we have to be new new persons, we can't do anything about. Did you catch that? Because he says this. He says this. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says this again in verse 5. He says this. I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what he is saying over and over and over again, and here's the punch. Look at verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I'm going to just stop there. I'm going to show you this. He is saying that the new birth that Nicodemus needs is he is completely passive in. He can't do a thing about. The thing that Nicodemus needs, he can do nothing about. Think about it like this. How many of y'all asked to be born? Please raise your hand. None of you did. And that's the point. You had nothing to do in your birth except show up. And what Jesus is saying is, is the way that spiritual life comes to you is that you can do nothing about it. The spiritual rebirth, the spiritual birth that happens in you is something that must happen to you. Why do we know it's shocking? Because Jesus says this, don't marvel that I'm telling you this, Nicodemus. And here's the thing, Nicodemus is shocked because it's never occurred to him. And this is what's so amazing. Jesus looks at him and he says, you're the teacher of Israel. You're like the chief dude. And you don't know this? Are you kidding me? You see where I'm going with this? It's utterly shocking. I think about it like this in a humorous way. Uh, Michael Scott from the television show The Office. Do y'all still watch? I mean, it was big years ago. Reruns big. Okay, they need to be if not. Man, y'all are just missing out. Um, I don't know if it's still watched or not, but the main character, Michael Scott, he is a treasure trove of golden quotes. And um, at one point, he is asked about his need to be liked. Y'all can probably identify with this. I know I can, this idea of I need to be liked. And he clearly doesn't see it. He just doesn't see it. And in the little off-camera interview he does, he says this, Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like a compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. And I just find that funny. (laughs) Because he can't see his need, right? He can't see how blind he is to it. Nicodemus is putting the story, y'all, to show us what we can't see. We must be born again. And listen to me, no matter who you are. And y'all know, do y'all know why this is so important? If you've not heard a word I've said for the past three nights, please look up. Because do you know where Nicodemuses tend to spend their summers? At camps like YXL. Nicodemus, 
friends knew his Bible. Nicodemus was a good man. You see, you can spend your whole life around church. You can spend your whole life going to church camps, going to Christian schools, mission trips, etc. Or you can be an all-out rebel, living life on your own terms and being your own master or the master of your own faith and so, faith and so on. But do you know what Jesus would say to both of those groups? You must be born again. And in turn, this means that to be a person that Jesus is making new, to be a Christian, in other words, is to see that all of the good things in your life absolutely do not count for acceptance before God. And I'm telling you, that ought to shake some of you. Because what he is saying is, is this. God does not look at your Bible reading. God does not look at your attendance at church. Here's a big one. As wonderful as it is, God does not look at your sexual purity, your Christian schooling, and then say, now you can see the kingdom. He does not do that. Those things are wonderful things. No, God always saves. He always saves only by what Jesus has done for us. It is a sobering thing, right? To see in Jesus' eyes that even the best of us are in need of something that we cannot get on our own. And before we take a look at how we get it, Jesus not only shows us that we need to be born, to be born again, but He is going to show us what it means to be made a new person. In short, moving on, secondly, Jesus is going to show us the nature of the new person of the new birth. And by nature, that's just a kind of a technical word. It just means, what's it like? What's its essence? What does it consist in? And I'm going to show you from the text what the Bible is teaching us. So take a look with me here at the idea of the nature of the new person. Jesus is saying that when you are born again, or you'll hear me say this tonight, that when you are regenerated, that's a, that's a big theological word, the closest thing that we can compare it to is new life being formed. Hang with me on this. Like physical births, there is a point where life does not exist, and then it does. And in the same way, one must be born spiritually, or here it is, of the Spirit, verse 5 and 6, where there was once no spiritual life, and now there is spiritual life. There was once spiritual death, and now there is spiritual life. And so therefore, the nature of that new birth is a spiritual birth. Now here's the thing. The Bible talks about this in a lot of different picture metaphors. Remember I told you you're going to need your imagination? Remember? Here's why. Because here's how the Bible talks about it. From the Old Testament, you get phrases like this. Circumcision of the heart. A new law written on the heart in Jeremiah 31. Ezekiel uses the image, oddly enough, of a heart transplant. That God's going to take our hearts of stone, take them out, and then put into us a heart of flesh. And then when you move to the New Testament, you hear language of regeneration. Paul speaks of dead people being made of life, made alive. And Jesus talks about trees bearing good fruit. And here we see Jesus speaking about a birth. And the point is this. The new birth is a spiritual birth. It happens by the Spirit. That is what Jesus says. You must be born of the Spirit. In other words, hang with me. You don't get something added to you physically. 
You don't become God. And as we've already seen, the new birth is not about moral achievement or improvement. So how can we understand what happens in this new birth? It's at this point I'd like to turn your eyes to the screen. And let's read, you don't have to you read it with your eyes, I'll read it out loud. This is a quote from a, a theologian named Tony or Anthony Hookeman. He says this, Regeneration, that is the new birth, is that work of the Holy Spirit whereby He initially brings us into a living union with Christ and changes our hearts so that we who were spiritually dead become spiritually alive. So here it is. We are united to Christ and the inmost parts of our being, our hearts, are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Maybe a little word picture to help you and let your brain rest for a moment. I love this agricultural picture. It comes from a famous Welsh preacher, a man by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he puts it this way. So think about this for a second. It's from horticulture, and so hang with me. Uh, let's say that you have an apple tree. My favorite apple is the Fuji apple. Any Fuji lovers out there? Okay, pretty good. I got a guy shaking his head. That's good. Okay, pick your own apple. I don't know what it is. But now imagine that your neighbor has a honey crisp apple tree. Okay? Pretty doggone good as well. Right, there it is. The honey crisp people over here. Now, here's what's interesting you love his honey crisps. And so you ask him for a graft or a shoot from his tree, and he gives it to you. Did you know that you could do this? You could go home, and you can take that shoot or that graft and cut a little wedge in on it. And you can, on your Fuji tree, cut a little wedge like a puzzle piece and stick that little graft or that shoot into the tree of your Fuji tree. Wrap it up with some tape, water it, make sure it gets a lot of sunlight, and you know what will happen? Your Fuji tree will begin to produce Honeycrisp apples. Did you know that? And here's the thing. If you're patient enough, and if you tend to your Honeycrisp graft over time, you can begin to cut away all of your Fuji apples until what? All you're left with is a blossoming Honeycrisp apple tree. <clears throat> that is a beautiful picture of what the new birth is. Christ comes. He puts His Spirit in us. And over time, the Spirit goes to work to make us more and more and more like Jesus. Therefore, making us more and more human as well. Here's the point I hope the illustration helps you to see. When Nicodem whether you're Nicodemus or anyone else, whenever somebody becomes a Christian, a new person, a regenerate person, God puts a new nature in you that eventually changes you. Moreover, in the putting in, the Bible says this about you from 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very famous verse. I highly recommend you commit it to memory this week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There it is. A new creation. The old has passed away Behold, the new has come. The new life has gone in. And new life is given. New life goes into death. And new birth is given. That's what it's like. That's what the spiritual change is like. And friends, this is what I want you to see. The new birth, therefore, isn't about how to be a better person. 
It's about being a new person. It's not Jesus fixing the electrical system in your house. He simply didn't come to repair your life, but what? To renew it by giving you His own life that you might find life with Him forever and ever. He is making all things new, including you. And this new you creation goes all the way down to the very root of your being, to the level of the heart. It transforms the mind. That is the way that we think. It transforms the will, what we decide and what we want, and the emotions about what we love and how we feel. You see, it puts newness, a new kind of life there. And all of these things get radically reoriented to life in Him. Here it is. In an instant, boom, you're changed. Just like that. Boom. But over a lifetime, you grow. Over a lifetime, you grow. Regeneration, the new birth, indicates the definitive, comprehensive work of God in us. Christ dwells by His Spirit within us, never to depart. And that means that you are a new man, a new woman, if you are in Christ. This means that you are not... This is profoundly good news. Listen up. You are not the man or the woman that you used to be. Is that not good news? You are not the man or the woman you used to be if you were in Jesus. And here's a more amazing great news. You are not yet the man or the woman that God has promised to make you be that you are today. And that ought to give you great hope as well. Isn't that amazing? The new life. The new birth. You must be born again. This is what Jesus is saying. When Christ makes us new... Not only is this necessary, not only is this spiritual, but it's also, lastly, it is sure. It is certain. It is definitive. You see, whatever God begins, He also finishes. And let's take a look, lastly, at the certainty of becoming a new person. The certainty of becoming a new person. I'm going to look at the last couple of verses here in our text, particularly verses 14 and 15. So let's take a look at them. Now, as a caveat, I will say this. It is natural for you to ask the question, okay, if God is making me a new person, then I get you're talking about like the beginning of this, but what about the rest of my life as a Christian? I want to say this. That's a wonderful question. I'm not dealing with it tonight. I'm just talking about the beginning. You've got grace talks. Jeremy's talked about sanctification. The Christian life, you can talk to your youth leaders and your counselors about that, I'm talking about the beginning tonight, and I'm only dealing with the beginning. That's all I'm doing. I know I'm limited in my, in my scope. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, that's a little bit of a caveat. You might have questions about that. Let me show you firstly, or just one quick way, about the certainty of being a new person. The certainty that God actually makes us into new persons. Here we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus, mentioning this perhaps odd story about an, a, a bronze snake in Moses. Now, seeing how most of you probably remember Numbers 21, right? Of course you do, right? Y'all probably read it this morning. I won't bore you too much with it, but I need to cover a little bit with it. Here's what's happened. Back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, God's people were upset at God and at Moses, his leader. Okay? Here's why he was upset. God had brought His people out of Egypt, and they were happy for about a millisecond. And then after that, they were ticked. And you know who they were ticked at? 
God himself. Isn't that crazy? God just rescued their bottoms. God had just rescued them. And then they start saying stuff like this. Oh, God, did you just bring us out here in the desert to kill us? I mean, the menu that you gave us is horrible. We're so sick of not having stuff. We don't even have water to drink. And you, you kind of wonder this. You go, how can these people say this? And then before you, before you think about it, like, oh, wait a second. I see a lot of myself in those people. I do that a lot. I grumble a lot at God. But here's what God says to Moses. God says, you know what? I've had it with them. I'm done. I'm sending an act of judgment on these people. And he sends this plague of snakes and they begin to bite the people who are grumbling. And the people recognize their sin. And they begin to say, whoa, we have massively overstepped our bounds here. And they begin to cry out to God. And they say, save us, God. Moses, do something for us. And so Moses goes before God, and God says, Moses, I want you to do something. I've heard my people. I'll be gracious once again. I want you to make out of bronze this snake. And I want you to lift it up. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up. And then when everybody, whoever has been bitten by these snakes... If they will just look at the bronze pole, they'll be healed. That's, that's all they got to do. I'll read, it de- I'll read it straight out of the print itself. Numbers 21. It reads as follows. You can turn there if you want. I love the language of it. And I just lost my bookmark, so hang with me for just a second. He says this. Numbers 21 says this. So Moses, verse 9, made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone... He, the person bit, would look at the bronze serpent and live. So what in the world does any of this have to do? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 15, in the same way that the servant was lifted up, and those who looked on it were certainly saved, so too will I be lifted up. And that, friends, is a reference to something. Y'all know any time, maybe in history, when Jesus was lifted up? On the cross. Jesus himself, like the bronze serpent that was lifted up, he himself would be the thing when looked to would be the cure for the judgment of God against against his people's sin. And here's what I want you all to see. I want you to see the certain promise that all those who look on him, who look at Jesus, will be saved. Look at how John puts, puts it here in Jesus' own, own words. Whoever, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Don't read that may as like, well, he may or he might not. That's not what it's saying. That's just a way of saying if the condition is met, the, goal, the, the fruit comes. If, if somebody believes, you can bank on eternal life. That's what that text is saying. And here's why this is so important, friends. God is saying this. That all you have to do is look. All you have to do is believe. Why? Here it is. Because faith or belief is an outworking of the new birth itself. Faith, belief, is an outworking of the new birth itself. Our Protestant forebearers said this. That regeneration precedes faith. Those three words will change your life. They will change your life. When you see that faith is a gift that comes from you being born again, and not something that you bring to the table so that you can get born again, 
Your life has changed. You know what happens? You get born again. Because you begin to see, wait a second, I believe as a gift that God gives me. And so to look on the cross, to look to Jesus, is an outworking of that regeneration that God has done. You see, in short, we believe because God has certainly brought out the new birth in us. Faith or belief is the outworking, the demonstration of that new birth, not the other way around. And that will change your life. I love what J.I. Packer wrote about the decisiveness of this new birth. Look at it up here. The regenerate man has forever ceased to be the man he was. His old life is over and a new life has begun. He is a new creature in Christ. Boy, I love that. You see, what this means is, is that if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, the old is gone, and that is no longer who you are, friends. You see, here's the question. You need to ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? The new birth tells you, you've been born again and belong to Jesus. And in all the things seeking to define your life, you know what sits at number one? Beloved of God. Adopted by Him. Son or daughter of the Most High King. There is nothing else above that, whether you like that or not. And that is profoundly good news. So what does this feel like? What's this like? What's this like? Here it is. Well, so if I look to Jesus, right? If I look to Jesus' work for me on the cross, if I trust in that for salvation, if I see His death for me, if I see His life for my life, right? If I, can, if I see that, I can be certain, therefore, that I have been born again. That's what this means. And I'm telling you, it's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's something supernatural. God takes something dead and He gives new life to it. There's a limit to what I can explain. That's why you have to use your imagination. You have to see it with a different part of who you are. Well, the Bible wants us to know that if the new life goes in, it will certainly produce, it will produce this faith in you. This will be the sign of the new birth. And that's often called the Christian life. Well, listen, I, didn't, I told you I can't spend that much more on it, but I want to show you this. I want to say this before I close. I want to say something to all of the Nicodemuses out there. I'm, I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I was in your shoes. I was raised in and around the church, and I had no idea what this was until I was in college. So there's hope for me tonight that one of y'all will listen to me. I want to see this. Our being born into Christian homes and having godly parents are some of the best gifts that God can give to us. Do you know that? That is some of the best gifts that God can give to us. Moreover, going to a Christian school or a homeschool co-op with fellow Christians is a special kindness from God. Coming to YXL to learn about the God of all grace is a fantastic way to grow in faith. But, but, as wonderful as these things are, hear me, they do not make you a Christian. You must be born again. Know this, if you have never received Christ, which means to trust Him 
and all He did for you on the cross, forgiving you of all of your sins and giving you a perfect standing with God that you can't get to and screw up. Hallelujah. Both of which will last for eternity. I'm telling you, you may do so tonight. You may have Jesus tonight. You might be able to look at July 3rd, 2018 as your spiritual birthday. Talk to your counselor. Come talk to me. We would love to show you how to meet Jesus. That's our great hope for you. I make no bones about it. That would make my night. It would make my week. It would be wonderful. Let me say this in closing. I already told you about C.S. Lewis. He was a master at talking about this inner real change that happens to each of us. And many of you are familiar perhaps with the story of Eustace from the voyage of the Don Treader. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about? Here it was in case you don't. Eustace essentially was a mean and horrible cousin. He was cruel to the main characters, was often very demanding, and overall quite bratty. Well, one day, Eustace finds himself turned into what? A dragon. And the reason he is turned into a dragon is because he finds himself in love with a treasure. And loving the treasure, that is, having greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, he became a dragon. Well, several days pass until one day Eustace wakes up as a dragon and is dead set to claw off his own skin. He reasons that if he can just claw the skin off, surely the boy that he once was will resurface. And so as he claws his skin off one layer after another, more and more what? Dragon skin appears. His healing was not what he expected. But one day, Eustace comes face to face with the powerful, kingly Aslan. And when he does, longing to be rid of his dragonly flesh, he turns to the mighty lion. And Aslan spoke, you'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of the claws, Eustace said. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. That's Lewis's language of the new birth, by the way. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. But I turned into a boy again. And Lewis continues, It would be nice and fairly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses, and most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Dear friends, this is how grace changes us. It is God doing from the inside out. He goes inside of us to the heart and changes us. He does the thing that we so desperately need that we cannot do for ourselves. And from there, we begin to live out by the power of the Spirit our new identity as a son or a daughter. Was Eustace entirely different at once? No. That's why Lewis said he began to be a different boy. Perhaps the Apostle Paul puts it best when he puts it this way. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that work is to make you truly human, really human once again. Why? Because the renewal 
that we have spoken about tonight is to be made more and more like Jesus, that is to be the most human of all. Let's pray. The new birth, Lord. We need it. We can't get it except from you. And so we ask that you would cause us to be born again. For those of us that do know you, would you help us to marvel that you have done this, that you have, as the old song has said, taken a wretch like us, those of us who were blind and caused us to see, and would we marvel at your grace to us. We pray this all for the sake, for the glory, and for the wonder of Jesus. Amen.